This podcast is brought to you by copyblogger.com. Words that work. Build your online authority with powerfully effective content marketing. Get superior content marketing education so you can build a remarkable online presence. Head over to copyblogger.com to learn more. That's copyblogger.com. Hey, Rand, thanks for being with us today. Hey, Daryl, thank you for having me. So, brand new initiative called Spark Turo. I think a lot of people know you from your days with Moz and uh, your book and several other things, but brand new initiative. Tell us a little bit about Spark Turo and, and the inspiration behind the company. Sure, yeah. So, I, yeah, I started a company called Moz many years ago and uh, was there, I was there actually 17 years and then left in 2018. And started SparkToro the next day. So SparkToro is a is a software company. It's it's building marketing software, um, not in the SEO space, but rather in the market research and audience intelligence. And and the you know the inspiration behind it was we really wanted to try and help folks who were struggling to figure out where they could reach their audiences without just throwing a bunch of money at Google and Facebook. And that's that's a tall order these days, right? If you want to try and figure out what podcast do my audience listen to, what YouTube channels they subscribe to, what websites do they read and visit, uh, what social accounts do they follow, that data is hard to come by. We talked to a lot of people about how they did that process, and it was manual, slow, a lot of guessing, a lot of Googling, some surveys and interviews, which can produce mediocre self-reported data um, and then some really sophisticated savvy people uh, who basically built crawlers to go visit their uh, audiences online profiles aggregate them all manually right uh, aggregate them all put them in a giant spreadsheet and then try and figure out what uh, what, what the overlap was and that that is essentially the inspiration for spark Toro you're we like oh that's a great idea that's the perfect way to do this Let's build it at scale. Let's build it so anyone in three seconds can get those results for any audience, at least in the English language world, uh, to start with. So give me a breakdown. If I'm a content marketer, I have an idea, a general idea of who my audience is. How do I use SparkToro? Yeah, so content marketers are actually uh, maybe our largest or second largest cohort of customers right now. And uh, the folks who've been using it for content marketing, I think, you know, very wisely realize that each time they produce a piece of content, it's it's a lot like producing a new product or service for a business, right? There's an audience that you want to be interested in that uh, in that piece of content. So I write a new blog post and I think, okay, this, I know exactly who this is targeted to. This is targeted to, uh, you know, this group of people. It's going to be really interesting to them. It's going to be interesting to the media that covers it. It's going to be interesting to these blogs and websites. If you know that space really, really well, you can do a decent job. Uh, if you don't, it pays to do the research. And even if you know a space well, it's awesome to be able to find those sort of hidden gems that could help amplify that content. So, Daryl, I'm sure you get this all the time. I get a lot of these, right, that are like, hey, Rand, I wrote this post. I think you'd be interested. I think your Twitter followers would be interested. Here it is, right? And I'll be honest, uh, probably three out of 10 times, it is good. It's good stuff, and I share it. Right? I post it on LinkedIn, I post it on Twitter, maybe I'll put it even on my Facebook page. 
and send a few thousand visits, right? Because I have a relatively big social following. And, and that's exactly sort of what a lot of content marketers are looking for, people to amplify their stuff, people to link to their stuff, people, uh, places where they can find guest editorials, podcasts and YouTube channels that might talk about something they produced. I think we're going to talk about one of my posts today, right? So good, good example there too. Uh, and that's exactly how you can use SparkToro, right? So if you have a describable audience, if you know, for example, hey, my audience is contractors, right? Um, home contractors, and I want to find the channels they listen to because I have a new research piece on uh, how home repairs and upgrades are happening in, during the pandemic and how demand for that has spiked. I think it actually has spiked. Like people are doing tons of home repair projects while they're stuck at home, maybe no surprise. Uh, and uh, you could basically type in general contractor or uh, home contractor stuff like that, and get a list of all the publications and people that that audience follows, and then go pitch them. Mm. I like it. Question about, you know, finding specific audiences and niches. I know this is like, you really need to have this figured out before you dive into SparkTuro and use it as a tool. But what kind of advice do you have for somebody who wants to really find an audience or really nail down an audience? What, what would you tell somebody who's saying, you know, I just kind of write for a wide group of people or I'm not sure yet, or <laughs> I think it's for this, but I'm unsure. Like where, where would I even begin starting to really narrow down that audience? Yeah. I think, I think one of the best things you can do before you sort of like, you know, you go to a party and you try and read the room, right? You, you look at what other people are doing and what they're wearing and how they're acting and how they're conversing with each other and what are the topics of conversation, right? And you listen before you start interjecting and speaking up. And the same thing is true online, right? So I think a lot of, you know, a lot of tools and advice out there is uh, around social listening and content listening. And SparkToro can be helpful for that too, right? If you find these sources of influence for your audience and you are unfamiliar with the space, right? You don't know the audience well, or you don't know the media and influencer set in that uh, for that audience, pay attention first, right? Read for a few weeks, listen to a few of the podcasts, uh, uh, follow some of the social accounts, uh, go, go subscribe to some of the YouTube channels, right? Put the, put the websites in your, if you're using RSS or whatever you're using to, to follow blogs and, and news, do that first, figure out, get, get the tone and temperature, and then you will get a much better sense of what type of content uh, what kind of news and research and media and subject matter and uh, uh, what kind of media itself, right? Um, video versus audio versus visual text is resonating. And then, then I would go make that stuff, right? Because I, I think you need that sort of decent sense of the room before you start shouting into it. <laughs> That's good. Uh, See. So Speaking of this, you've talked about, uh, sorry, you most recently wrote a blog post uh, on the SparkToro blog here called Want Your Content to Succeed, Make It Resonate with the Right Audience. Give me just a, a quick context of, of this post so, so those who haven't read it yet uh, kind of know what we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, so I had done several webinars recently, um, specifically talking about, you know, uh, doing marketing during during the pandemic and um and in the economic decline that's that's followed uh and 
one of the pieces that was lacking, one of the pieces that I think was missing from my discussions and from some of the stuff that I was trying to help people with was this idea of, of what is what is content that's going to resonate and, and how do you target that differently than content that you create purely for your customers? So one of the one of the frustrating problems that I see, I'm sure you've seen this too in the, you know, in the content marketing world, I'm sure your listeners have seen it, is that, you know, clients and bosses and teams, they have this, um, I don't know where it comes from, but misplaced expectation around what content is supposed to do. Uh, and, and that expectation is you are going to write content, you know, for our blog or for our website publication, whatever. And it will attract people, and some of those people will convert to customers. And the goal of the content you make is to convert visitors into customers, right? Attract visitors and then turn them into customers. And it, weirdly enough, that's not entirely wrong. That you know, there's there's some truth behind it. The problem is how that process works, right? And you and I know that you know people need to visit a website interact and engage with a brand's content 7, 10, 15 times before they are likely to become good customers. I remember this this stat from Moz. This was back when we, it was probably 2012 period, right? But we, we had this uh, system in place where we were basically looking at how many times people visited Moz before they became a customer. And then we looked at that by lifetime value, right? So if, you know, let's say, Daryl, you go to Google, you search for SEO tools, you click on Moz. You sign up that day. On average, you'd stay with the tool maybe the 30 days of the free trial and that's it. Right? But if you were subscribed to the blog and you had visited 10 times in the last 90 days, your average lifetime value was 18 plus months, right? Which is which is many thousands of dollars for uh for months because the the subscription price. So right, huge, huge difference. And this blog post that I was writing is basically about how your goal when you are creating content, especially top of funnel content for, for your blog, for marketing purposes, is to reach an audience of people who are likely to amplify it. Because what you need is not people converting to customers, it's people sharing your content, helping it spread, building your content brand, attracting more people, right? And you need to think of yourself more like a media organization that's there to get attention. And therefore, your content should be targeted to people who can help it spread, which is fundamentally different from your audience of people who are going to buy your product. So talk to me about that fundamental difference. Uh, kind of play out, Let's, if we can, maybe let's make an example here and play out how that would look differently if you were creating a piece of content for SparkTuro as an example. I can give a Sparktoro example that might be on the B2B side. I can give a B2C example. Some friends of mine here in Seattle run a company called CrowdCow. Have you ever used them? I haven't, no. Oh, uh, if you eat meat, I strongly recommend them, um, especially right now. They're, they're, they're going gangbusters because of the Works supply awesome. short. Yeah, <laughs> supply issues, right? Um, but essentially, they ship high-quality, uh, ethically raised, small rancher, you know, small family farm-owned uh, cuts of, you know, chicken, beef, pork. Uh, I think salmon now, right? Also, all sorts of meats uh, directly to your house in this biodegradable packaging. It's really, really well done, and 
Um, and they, they work with great folks, right? So they, they kind of help encourage a much better supply chain than what, you know, factory farming and that encourages. Anyway, long story short, CrowdCow's content for their customers is are, are things like, you know, what to do with your frozen steak and, and how to cook it and how to uh, prepare it and, uh, you know, techniques for that kind of stuff. Uh, their content to convert customers is very often around their sort of three pillars of why you should choose them over, um, you know, grocery store meat, right? And that's that's around the ethics of it. It's around supporting small family farms and the supply chain issues. Uh, and it's around the quality and flavor of the meat that you're going to get, right? So those things are fine. That That type of content it's not bad. It's you could I even think that's what most people do though, right? Right. It's like that's good high quality content. Yeah, but who cares? The only people who care are the people who are already thinking about buying from CrowdCow or have already bought from CrowdCow. It's not mm-hmm. media worthy, right? It's not press and amplification worthy. I'm not going to share it on Twitter. I'm not going to post it to my LinkedIn. I don't really know who is other than the brand itself. So you've really created a lot of friction in your sort of flywheel of trying to build a, you know, a content cycle that's going to attract new subscribers and attract new visitors if that's the way you play your content. What they need, what they need is to figure out, oh, wait a minute. People who are amplifying content in the food space are talking a lot about small ranches and small farms versus factory farms. Could we put together a uh, a research piece showing what the real difference in, you know, whatever it is, carbon emissions, in land usage, in animal healthiness, in rates of disease, in, you know, risk of E. coli, whatever it is, right? And and put that together in a visual graph format uh, and make our research available to folks. Okay, now, now we're talking, right? Now that's something the Seattle Times is going to pick up and it's something food and wine might write about. And it's something that you know, Tom Colicchio will share on his Twitter account, and maybe Martha Stewart will share on uh, on her Twitter account, and people might post to Instagram. Like this, that has real value. There you go, right? Like that's a, a different way of thinking about content marketing, and that's what I'm encouraging folks to do. Think about content marketing from the perspective of who will help amplify this and why. That's really interesting, and I'm not. I, I swear, I'm not trying to just lob up softballs here for spark Turo, but that's, that's where spark Turo comes in. And I, I think I'm trying to really wrap my brain around this and helping people wrap their mind around spark Turo because it's really innovative. Like there's not a lot of tools or any tools like this other than ones that maybe people have created with their own spreadsheets and relationships organically. So tell me how spark Turo then inserts itself into a process like you just mentioned. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's helpful on, on two sides, right? It's helpful on the Number one, finding the sources of influence so you can read the room and listen and pay attention to what's working. And then it's helpful on the backside when you are trying to find what those sources of influence are for any given audience uh, so that you can go reach out and pitch them or build relationships or do whatever it is, right? A guest editorial, um, a bunch of <laughs> you know, um, podcast advertising right now is, is dirt cheap. And so a lot of... Uh, Spark to our users have been like, oh man, I can find the podcast that Los Angeles Architects listens to. Boom, right? That's that's my media budget re reallocated in this hugely ROI positive way versus where we spent it last month. 
So those those types of uh, things on the back end are are super helpful too. And this is not, you know, this is kind of by design, right? Obviously, SparkToro is the process of my frustrations around what's hard in the marketing world and what was unserved or underserved until now. And, you know, a, a big part of it is like this, this desire to say, yeah, big, powerful companies, companies with budgets in the hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars, they can do this. Like they can do this without SparkToro, right? They, they, they hire a market research firm to put it together for them. They hire press and PR companies to do this work for them. They, they do big surveys. They have, you know, huge audiences already that they can go do this manual analysis on. But what about the rest of us? Like, I don't, I don't really want to live in a world where huge companies have all the advantages. I, I want to give some of that back. And so SparkToro is, is kind of our attempt to put that power that, that previously only belonged to these huge companies into the hands of, you know, anyone who can perform a search. Okay. So I see one issue and I want to, I want to get your thoughts on it with writing for the amplifiers. Uh, the amplifiers and my ideal customer might be different people. How do I not lose sight of my ideal customer when creating content? If I'm writing for the amplifier first? Uh, I, I don't worry about that. I really don't. Right. Because, because I think the goal with, with a lot of content marketing, uh, especially at when we're talking about the, if what your problem is, is top of funnel, if you're trying to solve a top of funnel problem with content marketing, right? Attract new visitors, get more people aware of our brand, get them coming to our site, put them on our email list, cookie them so we can advertise them later, right? Then working to create content for amplifiers is exactly the goal you should be going after. And I, I would not worry much or even at all about the fact that it might not overlap with exactly what customers want. Your goal in reaching those amplifiers is to build a large audience of people who know you, like you, and trust you, right? They've heard of you. Oh, CrowdCow. Yeah, I've heard of them. Where did I hear about them? Oh, yeah, I think someone mentioned them on a podcast recently, right? And you, you want that many, many times because that's exactly how brand marketing and advertising works, right? The, whatever, the Super Bowl commercials are, are not designed to convert you directly, and they don't convert you directly. People don't see an ad for, whatever, Chevrolet on an NFL game or on their favorite TV show or as a pre-roll ad on YouTube and go, Chevrolet, of course, I should buy a vehicle right now. Never happens. <laughs> Almost never happens, right? The, the, the reason that they're doing that brand marketing and advertising is to build associations with you, positive associations right? And an idea of what your brand stands for and the sort of make the brand, put it, put it at the forefront of your mind so that when you have the problem that the product is designed to solve, you think of that company, right? You think of their solution. And that is exactly what you're doing here with content marketing. This is such a fundamental shift, you know, thinking about it this way, such a fundamental shift from what a lot of people teach in content marketing, because what a lot of people teach is educational content, like mm -hmm. teach and train and bring people into building that trust before they're into the funnel. So this is such a fundamental shift. Uh, it's, it's got my, it's got my mind moving. <laughs> I don't think, I mean, I don't think that's always the wrong thing to do. I just think that is a very different kind of content marketing and it, and it better be the one where you, you know, you already have 
a big brand and a big presence and you're attracting a lot of customers. And so you, your challenge is not top of funnel, your challenge is mid, middle and bottom of funnel. Um, and mm -hmm. if that is the case, then yes, content marketing can help people move through that funnel, understand and educate. I mean, SparkToro, let, let's be realistic. Right now, SparkToro's challenge is all throughout the funnel. I need more top of funnel content, right? I need to attract people, get them to know what the company is and what it does. And I definitely, you know, we just launched, I, I definitely need a lot of middle and bottom of funnel too, to help people, you know, train on what the tool does and how it works and how to get the most out of it and all the stuff we've been talking about on, on, on this show. So there are different goals. And what I'm talking about is sort of that, that broad top level stuff. Um, but it is, it's so powerful if you get it right. Yeah. And I think most people miss that piece of it. I think most people, probably particularly in this audience, really know that middle and bottom funnel content marketing, where there's training and education and that type of strategy that's that's happening. This is so insightful to think about it this way. So super grateful for the conversation. Yeah. I, I want to kind of pivot here and talk about the pandemic. Uh, it's this is not going to be the first conversation anybody's ever had about marketing during the pandemic, but I'm curious to know your experience launching a brand new company in the middle of a global pandemic. Yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, the hardest parts for, for us have, have certainly been, I think like the mental and emotional bits, you know, we did see, I, I'll, I'll, I'll give some stats around this, but um, we had our first early access group. So Casey and I have built up a list of about 20,000 email addresses from folks who basically said like, Hey, send me a, you know, send me a message when SparkToro launches, right? Like I, I want to know, I want to get early access. Um, and we had, uh, emailed the first group of, I think two or 3000 of those people at the end of February, maybe February 24th, right. Which was right about when Seattle, which is where I live was, was going into lockdown, but before kind of the rest of the country was even thinking that the pandemic would necessarily be a, a, a big problem um, and the rest of the world. And so that group, that, that group we emailed uh, at the end of February performed extraordinarily well. We had about a 5% conversion rate. Um, and Casey and I kind of looked at each other like, oh my God, this, this could be amazing. Like we might be off to the races. Uh, I, I emailed our investors and was like, hey, here's how our first group went. Um, given that we have, you know, five times this many folks, and then we haven't even gone public yet uh, with the launch, it could be like we could be really extraordinary this year. Um, and then we sent the second cohort. I think it was the second week of March, and that group performed at about one percent conversion rate. And by the end of March, it was zero point five percent. And worse than that, like Daryl, oh my God, the, I think the worst thing was. You know, where all the email uh, address uh, from field was my email, rand at sparktoro.com. And so I got all the replies, right, personally, which is great. I love doing that. Um, but as it got into March, when we were sending these groups, these email groups, I kept getting replies that said, not out of office, but this person is no longer in the role. Mm. Right? This person is no longer with the company. And it was just like over overwhelming. I think uh, almost fifteen percent of our emails had a bounce back with something like that. 
So just so many people losing their jobs and I could see it in my inbox. Uh, it was, you know, kind of heartbreaking and mind bending. Yeah. yeah, I can't, I can't imagine that. I, I've never even thought of that being a possibility. Um, yeah, it's, it's heavy. Yeah, it's, it's really rough. And of course, you know, it's not, I don't know most of these people personally, but I know some of them, right? Because I've been in the marketing world a long time, right? So I knew the names of, if not the people, the companies that they worked for. Um, and, you know, and I was hearing this from, from friends and folks I'm on email lists with, and obviously folks in my network and, and, and in Geraldine's too, my wife's. Oof, just, just brutal. Like the economic hit is like nothing nothing we've ever seen in our lives. So the financial crisis looks tiny, right? <laughs> Almost, um, you know, subtle compared to this. And uh, so that, that, that really, you know, took us for a spin. And I will say that despite, you know, despite the lower conversion rates and a lot of people leaving their roles and all those kinds of things, um, SparkToro's beat its numbers, right? So we had I think fairly conservative estimates around what launch was going to look like, but we're well ahead of it. And, you know, that has us feeling, feeling like, wow, Hey, we might, you know, we should be able to survive this thing. Assuming things don't get much, much worse. We should be able to survive this thing. And then hopefully over the next few years, as there's some recovery, um, grow again. I think a lot of people talk about, um, times like this and they're looking for an opportunity. And, you know, I, I have my own kind of moral tear thinking about, you know, taking, seizing opportunity in a time like this versus having compassion and understanding. What have you learned as a marketer during this time? And how do you think things will be different when we come out of this? You know, what I kind of wish I could say was, and I, I, I will say, no. So in most of the world, I think what's extraordinary, what's truly remarkable, what's, what's remarkable is how people have come together. Right, people of different uh, political beliefs, people of different economic means, people from different countries, right? And they basically just recognized, hey, in order to help other people, in order to make this thing less painful, especially for people who are immunocompromised or or have other health issues, people who are elderly, basically people with lots of different types of conditions that can exacerbate and and make uh, COVID overwhelming. In order to keep doctors and hospitals from uh, being overwhelmed, we are going to do this crazy thing, unheard of thing um, that we weren't really willing to do for global warming, even though it probably would help with that too. And that is, you know, stay home, social distance, stop going out places. Um, and we all do it basically voluntarily. You know, there are government orders, right? But it's just, just incredible to imagine humanity all coming together around that. I think it's hard to it's hard to picture us, especially as an American, people being so empathetic and thoughtful about people that they don't know, right? And there's some, you know, there's some risk to themselves, but the greater risk is is usually to other people. And that's that's really cool to see. So that, I guess, in a way, surprised me very positively. I think we have a bias sometimes of seeing something happening and thinking that it might not affect the world that we already know. And it's hard for us to imagine what's going to be different in the future. Do you see marketing and business being different in the future? Short-term, yes. Long-term, I don't think so, at least not all that much. I think there'll be a slight shift or an acceleration around um, ability to work from home, right, and work remotely. 
think that will uh, affect, especially a lot of high knowledge um, industries, a lot of places where there's leverage on the labor side of the equation. I would say, yes, we'll see some shift around. Uh, um, I think the growth in e-commerce will not shrink back to its previous levels. I think it'll stay high. Right, I think people will find that they have a positive experience mostly with e-commerce and uh, continue using the companies and the products and services that they that they find useful there. I think there'll be a huge amount of pent-up demand for things like you know travel and lodging and vacations and conferences and events that will come into play after there's a widely available vaccine. But yeah, I don't know. Like if you fast forward five years. Uh, I think one of the biggest long-term impacts will probably be on the um, wealth loss of the cohort um, cohort of people in their sort of 20s and 30s, especially, which is a generation that was already already screwed over by the financial crisis. And I think this is going to sort of doubly uh, hurt them because that's the group hardest hit by you know job losses and income loss. And- you know, living situation changes and those kinds of things. I think that will persist, um, kind of like a little ripple moving through that that group's kind of graph of whatever wealth and wealth creation ability. But yeah, I don't I don't know if long term we will see like this huge change in how business is done, how marketing is done. Yeah, it's such an interesting thought because I think it might even be hard for me to think about you know the last financial crisis we went through in two thousand eight and. Can I tell you how business is different from at least the way that I approach it or the way that I've done it is different uh, because of that type of situation? So it's just always an interesting, interesting thought pattern or thought process to put yourself through. All right. So pivoting, uh, Spark Tarot is your second rodeo, so to say. Uh, you've been pretty transparent about being a founder uh, through your book and other mediums. How are you approaching this venture differently than you have in the past? <laughs> yeah, super differently. Yeah, Daryl, I mentioned my my previous company, Moz, right? And that was a venture-backed company. So we raised $30 million, uh, 29, something like that. And obviously, you know, the, the goal with venture is you you're sort of trying to return a significant multiple on that fund, 5x, 7x, 10x, uh, and hopefully more. And uh as a result, you know, let's say Let's say you and I, for example, owned Moz, right? It's a, I don't know, 55-ish million dollar a year company. It's profitable. It's kicking off maybe 10% uh, of its revenue and profit. So, so you know, you and I basically are are looking at like $5 million a year net profit um, from this business that we own. We'd be pretty happy about that, right? And Moz is growing. It's growing slowly, but it's growing. That that sounds like a great company, but if it's venture-backed... yeah. No, not not so much, right? Because it's not hitting the um, return expectations of the investors, which, you know, the model with venture is basically invest in 100 companies, 95 of them uh, don't return much of anything to you, two or three of them return, yeah, you know, three to seven X uh, your money. And then it's one or two that usually make the whole fund, right? And so your goal is to find that those those few gems out of that hundred, it's not to try and like help a bunch of companies survive and stay profitable and thrive. So the incentive is just weird, right? The, you know, as a founder, you're trying to get your company to 
to survive and thrive. But really, if you raise venture, what you should be trying to do is, you know, become a unicorn or die trying. So that is a very different, very different model than SparkToro. So we we raised money with SparkToro again. I don't, you know, I wish we didn't have to, but I don't, I don't have the personal finances, you know, obviously until or unless Moz kind of hits it big, right? I I had a nice salary there, but I didn't didn't make like any gobs of money or anything. Um, and uh, we raised 1.3 million from 30, I think 36 individual angel investors. Uh, and we basically formed an LLC. Our investors own units in that LLC. And so do we. Uh, once we pay them back 1.3 million, uh, their, their sort of initial sum from our profits, uh, we all participate in profit sharing together. And so assuming SparkToro could be a very successful company at $2 million a year, could be a great company at $10 million a year, could be a great company at 20 or 50 or 100. But, you know, my philosophy on this t- time around was like, why in the world would I set myself up for failure at every, at, you know, at every point except 100 million plus? And so there's no, you know, there's no chance I'm going to raise venture. Yeah, just not a match. I don't really under, I don't understand why it's popular <laughs> after doing it. Yeah, I, I, you know, I was a part of ConvertKit team early on. Uh, that was obviously a uh, bootstrapped effort by Nathan Berry and uh, a couple others. So uh, I'm, I have strong bootstrap, uh, scrappy from the start uh, startup. So I, I'm with you there. I don't understand the venture backed idea at all. Yeah, uh, I think that there's a there's a certain very small number of companies and entrepreneurs for whom it's a right match, right? If you have a super high risk venture, uh, you need a ton of money to get it off the ground, um, and you're not you're not particularly worried about the fact that you're rolling the dice on a high, you know, high chance of everyone gets laid off and you know the company's a bust. Um, then ventures, sure. You know, venture is a good match, but I don't, it's not that I don't have that risk tolerance. I just don't, I don't like those types of businesses, right? I think they, because they're, it's not just you that you're hurting in that scenario, right? The founders usually come out fine, right? If, if, if you look at those situations, it's the employees and the team, it's the contractors and subcontractors, it's the customers, all those people really get screwed. And to join, you know, a, a structural system that basically says, yeah, yeah, yeah. 95 of you are going to get screwed. Five of you are going to be fine. You know, and one of those, one or two of those five are going to be really good. That's just, you're just signing up to contribute to wealth inequality and to, you know, sort of a, an unequal uh, partnership. I, I don't get it. All right, man. I'm super grateful to have you on. I have one last thought here. A spark Turo has uh you know, the ability for you to sign up for free and get 10 searches uh, per month. So if somebody's listening to this, super interested and curious, how should they use those free searches signing up for a SparkToro account? Yeah, uh, I actually wrote a blog post about this. That's sort of a like little mini guide to how to use your first 10 searches. But I'll, I'll just tell you the, fir- the first two that I would really do. One, I would plug in your own website or social account to see sort of your followers um, and what they, what else they pay attention to. Some of the results will probably be very not unsurprising to you, usually at the top of the page. And then as you scroll down to like, you know, a smaller percent of this audience follows whatever, 
it usually gets really interesting and you can find some gems there. And then I would do that with uh, either a, a direct or indirect competitor for your customer's attention. I'd plug them into or plug in a website or a social account that sent you a lot of good traffic in the past. Go to your Google Analytics, take a look and you're like, ooh, yeah, gosh, when we got mentioned on LinkedIn by so-and-so, you know, that sent us some really nice leads. Great. Let's plug in them, right? Let's plug in their LinkedIn account. Ooh, let's see what else people who follow that person also follow and pay attention to and engage with and read and listen to. Um, that can be, that can uncover some gold. Awesome. Rand, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I am excited about Spark Turo. I signed up for an account a couple of days ago and have been using my free searches. Uh, this is going to save me a lot of time in my biz dev activity. So I'm really excited to use it and would encourage everybody uh, to check it out, especially with the 10 free searches. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, if there's any way I can be helpful, feel free to drop me a line to Rand at SparkToro. I'm happy to, I do a lot of this, like just helping people format their queries and get value from the tool manually. So go for it. Thanks, Rand. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Take care.